Hello, and welcome to Setting the Skein. I'm Ben. I'm Doug. I'm Elijah. And once again, Tristan is busy or doing something, probably. Tristan's a loser. But we have a guest. That's true, we do. And, and uh, she is not a, uh, she's not a stranger to us. She's not a stranger to the show. Well, okay. Specifically this show, she is a stranger to, but to Viter Media and to some jerks who talk about movies, uh, you've seen her before. Uh, it's our very good friend, Amara Edda. Hi, Amara. Hi, Hello. hi. Welcome. I'm a veteran. Yes, I've been here before. It's not my first rodeo, oh. so <laughs> excited to be back. Excited to be on this specific podcast. Never done this one before, so completing well, the trifecta. Welcome to, uh, <laughs> well, welcome to uh, part two of the Edda Adventures, because because yes. uh, you know uh, last week we had uh, your amazing brother Bijou on, and uh, this week we get to hang out with you. Yes, yes and, he uh, is amazing. Never fails to remind me of that. So. <laughs> well, you just have to remind him how amazing you are too. <laughs> Thank you. I'm flattered. Yes. Um, hey, Doug, what did we watch this week? Well, Ben, I'm glad you asked. This week we watched the 2019 film Harriet, starring Cynthia Erivo, Leslie Odom Jr., uh, Janelle Monet, Joe Alwyn, Clark Peters. A uh, lot of folks. A lot of folks are in this movie. Uh, directed by Casey Lemons. Uh, nominated for two Oscars, uh, Best Performance by an Actress in a Leading Role, and uh, I mean, I get it wrong, but uh, basically like Best Original Song, I believe is like the equivalent. Uh, nominated for both of those. Uh, budget was $17 million, and it grossed uh, $43 million. Um, so, uh, so yeah, solid movie, solid success. Uh, in the ratings department, uh, we got 6.6 .6 on the old IMDb. Um, and because I, you know, suck at my job, I, uh, <laughs> I didn't have the rest of them pulled up. 73% on Rotten Tomatoes, 66% on Metacritic, and an 89% on Google. Because Google is rating movies and I don't get it. Um, but, uh, but yeah, this movie came out last year, or I guess two years ago. Wow. Um, and uh, was received pretty well. Uh, got some Oscar buzz. Uh, I think it introduced the main, like the general film going audience to Cynthia Erivo, who is a phenomenal actress, a uh, huge Broadway star. Um, I believe she won, uh, I believe she won a Tony for her performance in The Color Purple. She did. Um, Okay, she did win. She did. I, I thought that she had won. I just wasn't 100%. She is sure. Oscar uh, short of her EGOT. Yes, that I did know. I did know she was Oscar short. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, introduced Cynthia to a wide audience. I think this might be the first like big recognizable movie that Janelle Monet was in. Because um, I know like around this time and a little after, she st you started seeing her in more and more movies. Um, and also I hidden figures before this. Okay, hidden figures was before this. I couldn't. I couldn't remember. Um, and then uh, this is one of the first big film uh, performances of Leslie Odom Jr. Uh, right out of his uh, Tony Award-winning turn as Burr in Hamilton. Yeah, to put it simply, this cast is stacked. Um, and very, very good. But uh, but for right now, uh, what is everyone's experience with this movie? Never saw it. Yeah, I know, Ben. But I really wanted I to. Um, yes. I just never had the opportunity. Um, but I did watch it a couple nights ago and really enjoyed it. Yeah. <clears throat> I, I watched it with my whole family in theaters um, back in 2019 before <clears throat> the... Uh, world shut down when people still did things like go to movies <laughs> um yeah so I watched it in theaters with my whole family we all loved it it was it was obviously a very emotional experience for us but it was good we enjoyed it Doug what is that water bottle it is a one gallon water bottle that my boss I have the same one <laughs> holy my, mess my my boss is on a small bit of a health kick also we're competing against each other like uh at the gym um and she asked everyone in the office she was like y'all should all get gallon size water bottles 
Rebels. And I was like, <laughs> um, oh, okay. Uh, wow. Real quick. Just um, regular my, sex now, Gene? Yeah. Uh, real quick. Uh, my experience with this movie, I also saw it with my whole family. Um, we, uh, we went and saw it, uh, I think, opening weekend. Um, yeah. And it was it was really good. It was, it was a really good experience. Uh, I think my mom, uh, I, I don't know why I remember this, but I do. My mom thought that Leslie Odom Jr. was going to sing at one point in the movie. And that was her only thing that she had to say at the end of the movie. She was like, I really thought he was going to sing. But then she heard Cynthia sing and she was like, oh, we, we're good. We're good. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah. And then uh, Elijah, uh, you, uh, you got any experience with this movie? Yeah, I saw it this week for the second time as well. Just like you guys, I saw it in theaters. Um, I was excited about it. I remember I, I kept mentioning on on the podcast and uh, everybody was like, what movies do y'all want to see? Elijah wants to see Harriet. And then I ended up not seeing it opening weekend and you did. And so I got to hear all your thoughts before I saw the movie. But And you're not going to believe this. I almost cried. I may have actually shed a tear during this movie. I believe it. You I do have emotion. Cried. I cried. <laughs> I cried. cried a lot. My whole family cried. Yeah. There's a lot of crying to be had in this movie. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's it's a very well shot, well made movie. Um, and like we said earlier, a lot of that hinges on the performance of Cynthia Revo as uh, Harriet. Mm. Um, and just kind of getting into that. Good lord. I, it, there aren't, there aren't an overwhelming number of, uh, of Broadway stars who successfully make the transition from stage to film, but when they do, good <clears throat> Lord, they come out swinging. <laughs> and yeah, she is following in the footsteps of mama Viola Davis and just, she like, show stopping performances especially because a lot of the movie was just her by herself mm-hmm. and sometimes for me that can like really disconnect me if I'm just like oh this person's just like walking through the woods but just like her demeanor her the way that she embodied the character especially a character that's so different from her because she's like you see her in interview she's light and bubbly and Harriet Tubbins, <laughs> British, <laughs> and um, Harriet Tubbins' character is like somber and stern and very reserved and focused, and it it, it it's amazing to see her just like completely become a different person. It, it doesn't still feel own like the room anytime she walks in. Anyone. Yes, it doesn't feel like watching Cynthia play Harriet. It's like, oh yeah, Harriet Tubbins on screen. Right. Where did they get this footage? <laughs> Viola Davis, by the way, was um, they they wanted her to play Harriet Tubman earlier in the process of making this movie. Mm-hmm. I was reading about it. Apparently, this movie was in the works for over seven years. Wow. wow. Earlier on, they wanted Viola Davis, and they went with Cynthia Erivo instead. I really like that because I think that um, I think that people have the notion that. Harriet Tubman like pe- people think of that picture of her that's in the Library of Congress as like the old grandmother mm-hmm. type but like most of her story did happen in her 20s and I don't think that um, Viola Davis would have been a good casting for that necessarily even seven years ago so I think that Cynthia was an excellent wonderful choice to portray a young Harriet Tubman yeah, absolutely determined getting it done mm-hmm. yeah and I think I think a genuine I think an overall critique I usually have with movies that are, uh, you know, these these biopics or these based on true story performances is so often it's so easy to see a care to see a performer just turn out performance like it may be a very good performance, but you still just see an actor playing a character. And it's it's very rare that you actually see them so seamlessly transition into this other person. And I think that's the case here with Cynthia. Like, I mean, the minute she walks on, I almost said on stage, the minute she walks on screen, it's just like, oh, she's Harriet, set. Like, It's it's actually really interesting, too, because I don't think I knew that her um, Harriet Tubman's 
birth name was Araminta and she like goes by Minty in the movie. So like at first you're like, everyone's talking about Minty and you're like, oh yeah, I thought this movie was about Harriet Tubman. But it's like, she has such a commanding presence. Like, you know, the movie is about her. So you're like, how does she turn into Harriet Tubman? Like, I know it's her because she's commanding the screen. So where, and then you're, oh yeah, that makes sense. Cause this whole movie has been about her anyway. So it's mm. awesome to see that. I, th- I think also, and I thought about this last night when I was watching the movie, is I think that the movie kind of misleads you just a little bit with like its marketing because you look at the poster and it's it's Harriet standing there, you know, very stoic with uh, a wide-brimmed hat on, like looking like she's about to just straight up just dominate, period. Um and I think that's what a lot of people kind of expected going in. Like, you know, is this going to take it seriously? Yes, but it's going to do it very much so like showing the power of Harriet from like start to finish. And when you start the movie and you see this person who really, for lack of a better word, is very broken, like like on the edge of barely holding on to like her sanity and her her way of life and then you get to see her just slowly build into and fill in this mold of what we think of as Harriet Tubman Tubman uh yeah I mean it's it's incredible I uh I also will say because I just found this out and this isn't necessarily about this movie but it did just I did just find out something that's going to make uh life a little more interesting um so cynthia arrivo uh was apparently just cast in a nat geo um limited series uh in which she will be playing aretha franklin which i am 100 oh yes for. i feel like i've seen um ads for that trailers for yeah that. and but there's what's, but what's funny is that there's also a movie coming out where jennifer right. hudson is going to be playing aretha franklin yeah and that they've been talking about that movie for a long time because I've been waiting on it. Um, and I don't think, I think the let's cast Cynthia Erivo as Aretha Franklin thing only happened in the wake of Harriet. Don't you? I mean, I can see it, but also I'm not going to complain about it because <laughs> oh, like... it wasn't a complaint. She's fantastic um, as an actress and a singer. Uh, I mean, I'm saying that based on my limited knowledge of her, which is just this movie, because I didn't know who she was before this movie. I mean, I think it, I think like we said earlier, you know, the film really just presented her to a broader audience. Yeah, and I was part of that broad audience. Definitely had a um, successful Broadway career um, playing Cecily, I always forget the character's name, in The Color Purple on Broadway. Just phenomenal, outstanding, like singing to the back of the Raptors, like, if, if you knew her as a Broadway performer, it's not a, a big leap to see her playing Aretha because she got soul. Yeah. Soul. It's, uh, it's just going to be really interesting seeing basically the battle of two Harriet, or not Harriet's, Aretha's. Because um, <laughs> Jennifer, Hud- Jennifer Hudson can also bring it. They got and- yes. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm here for that. I'm here for it. 100%. Yeah, I, I don't want to turn it into a competition because I just, <laughs> I, I love both of these ideas. I remember when I heard Jennifer Hudson was going to play her, I was like, perfect. I mean, who else could do the job justice the way Jennifer Hudson could? Now I think somebody else could. <laughs> yeah. Hey guys, what's up? It's your old pal Ben. Y'all already know I'm here to give you some announcements. But before I do that, I just want to say thank you for listening. Your support absolutely means the world to us, and honestly, we, we wouldn't be here without you guys. So thank you. Uh, if you're interested in signing up for our Patreon, you can get all sorts of cool bonus content. We've got early access episodes. Uh, you can see some bonus episodes we've done. All sorts of cool stuff. You can check all that out at patreon.com fightermedia. Another great way you can support us is by getting a sticker or a button from our merch store. Uh, we've got Tea with Doug G buttons and stickers. We even still have a couple uh, Some Jerks buttons if that 
is something you would be interested in. You can check all that out at vitermedia.com slash merch. Now, the easiest way to support us is just keep on doing what you're doing. Keep listening, keep sharing us, keep following us on social media. If you're not doing one of those things, well, what are you waiting for? Now, that's all I've got, so be sure to check out the other Vitor Media products we've got. We've got new episodes of Setting the Skeen every Wednesday and new episodes of Tea with Doug G every Monday night. Let's get back to the show. the rest of this cast i love the cast i love the casting in Mm -hmm. general um i really love leslie as william still i i think that he plays that character really well um i actually hadn't seen um him in hamilton when i first saw this like I, i i watched like a bootleg so i didn't know what his face looked like and um, I was just very impressed with his performance the first time and then re-watching it this week. I was like, oh my gosh, that's Leslie. Like, he is a great actor, <laughs> just like I thought. Yeah. And then for me, one of the big things um, that I really loved about the casting of this movie is that like all of the Black people, except for where like it was specifically needed to be otherwise, were dark skinned because I know that there's been criticisms of um, lighter skinned actresses getting to play roles of darker skin historical figures. Like I know that there was um, some criticism about who's gonna be playing um, Nina Simone in her biopic um, that I don't ever, I don't think that movie actually ended up. Yeah, it was supposed to be Zoe Saldana, but- Yeah, I think that did, ended up getting Yeah, she's, scrapped. she has light skin, so. So I really, I really liked um, the choice um, for Cynthia being Harriet and, and that all, all of her family um, I don't know the names of all of the um, cast members that played the people in her family. Like everyone was representative of like dark working in fields, slaves of the time. Yeah. And honestly, like everybody in this cast is just incredible. Like we talked earlier about how Cynthia Revo just walked into the room and just owned it. But like any time, like any of these actors and actresses came on the screen like it this movie does a good job of taking a true story and making it feel real because mm-hmm. like a lot of times you get these movies that are like based on a true story and it's like well you kind of lean into a few things uh kind of like we talked about last week with black Klansmen. there are a lot of things that were um hyperbolic or like um what's the word that bg used or like, or like, we need the audience to feel this, so we're going to add this. Yes. There were, even though, for those who didn't listen to that episode, it sounds like we're crapping on Black Klansmen. We did like no, that movie. No, no, absolutely. But there were to. scenes in that movie that felt sort of manufactured. Yeah. Just and to, come to find out, they were manufactured. They were, yeah. Right. They were not actually things that happened. They were just like, ah, why don't we throw this in there to make them feel good? And it... Mm-hmm. it um wasn't our favorite thing about that movie yeah right um, and then you also had like character right and you also had characters in that movie that were caricatures whereas mm-hmm. like this movie is much more straight up like here's what happened like it feels much more real if that makes sense and i really yeah. appreciate I agree. that i agree i think that um another wonderful casting choice was um janelle monet as marie the um the Negro woman who owned the saloon that everyone, all, all of the newly escaped slaves would come to. And um, I think the juxtaposition of her character of this woman who was born free and like never knew fear, essentially, her juxtaposed to Cynthia's portrayal of like um, Harriet in her, her first days of freedom, essentially. I think that like the scenes where they interacted with each other when she first arrives in Philadelphia are just like so poignant to like the different conditions of black people back then and how the way that you just carry yourself in society is completely different. Like even when she first gets there before she even um, meets with William, um, the guy who gives her an apple, he doesn't have the nameless character. And he's like, you know, just walk with your head high and no one's going to bother you. But she's still like so 
timid. It takes her a while to be like, okay, I don't have to look over my shoulder versus Marie is just like out there. She talks to whoever, she holds her head high. She's like a proper woman in society. And she's like, yeah, and I can be that and what? So I just think that that was like wonderful. And by the end of the movie, we do see Harriet standing straight and tall. Mm. And, and con- contradictorily, you also see Marie afraid for the first time when she once they pass the runaway slave act and she's confronted with slave catchers she's never had to fear anyone coming and taking away what she had built for herself mm-hmm. and that happens towards the end i uh i also just want to, i agree with everything that you're saying i just want to issue an apology to janelle monet because i grossly like undersold her film career before this movie because like the biggest one that I'm just going to point out is um, she was in Moonlight, which like Moonlight took the world by storm for a hot minute. Um, so, yeah, like just just to reiterate, this was not her first film role. Uh, it was the first. Let me just contextualize. It was the first time Doug ever saw her in a film. And OK, yeah. I'm, I'm glad you said that, Doug. I almost wasn't going to say what I'm about to say. This was the first time I liked Janelle Monet. Um, I have an unpopular opinion about her. I actually am not fond of her as an actress or a musician in general, but I did like her in this movie. So if there's anybody who's a hater like me, who isn't impressed with Janelle Monae, Harriet could be, I also still haven't seen Moonlight. So I probably shouldn't say I don't like her as an actress. The only other thing I've seen her in was Hidden Figures. And I I, I was underwhelmed, Um, but that's a, different story that doesn't have anything to do with this but i did like her and harriet um i thought her performance was powerful and i think i read that her character was not a real person she was made up for the movie so amara you were saying that she i mean i'm, I'm just kind of piecing this together based on what you just said mm-hmm. I, I think i remember that she was not a real person she was put into the movie and you're saying you're, you're pointing out this sort of contrast between her and Harriet right yeah so maybe she was uh just manufactured in the movie so that we could kind of show yeah but I I I agree with that I also think it's it's interesting because um I think that we tend to think of those days right before the civil war to or those years right before the civil war to look a lot like Jim Crow And they weren't because like free black people then, black people had accumulated more wealth for themselves like in the the 1920s than they did by after Jim Crow. Like black people today have less wealth than they did like in Jim Crow. So it's been a steady decline like right after civil war was kind of the highest time for like black wealth, black ownership, proliferation of like black voices and stuff it was it was much better immediately after slavery then you had the rise of Jim Crow which started the steady decline of it so while her character might not have been based on a specific real person I don't think it's um outside of the realm of possibility that there could have been free black women back then that did own property and that that did have that sort of attitude and did carry themselves in society that way, especially if they were born free in the North. But of course it does, her character does work as like a, a, a foil, I guess, to mm-hmm. Harriet in that sense. Well, I, I think that, I think that, you know, we, biopics and like based on true story movies are very tricky to judge because there's always going to be probably one or two aspects that are manufactured uh and i think the biggest thing to just consider is like you know what does that manufactured element serve what purpose does that serve to the film as a whole and it's not like it's not like black klansman where certain things were manufactured to make the audience feel a certain way. I feel like the character of Marie was created to kind of show like, this is a dichotomy Mm -hmm. that you see, that you see arising um, as the civil war 
grows closer and closer um, so that you can see like a really good contrast between like between like uh, people who were born into slavery versus people who were born free because you know even though even though we I think I think general audiences today would kind of look at it and be like, well, if they're both in a free state, they're basically on the same like social structure. And the fact of the matter is, is that's not true. Like they like Marie is well established. She has to she has put in a ton of work, but like at the point that Harriet meets her, she's established, she's very confident in herself. She she's able to like do whatever she wants free of free of any second guessing and And i think that go ahead i think that marie also represents more than just the dichotomy of like her versus harriet she represents what the white people were afraid of like they weren't just afraid of their slaves escaping and being poor somewhere like they were afraid of black people owning something that they felt like belonged to them and marie owning property scared them frankly and so I think she represented that in the movie as well so I think it's important it was important to show a character like that like she represented what you could achieve even of course like it took Harriet a long time to come out of her like her her shell essentially to get to the point of being able to carry herself like a free woman when she moved through free spaces but I, I think that um, Marie was a good representation of what the work gets you. And it, and it was scary to the white people, frankly. Yeah. Yeah. Amara and Doug, you guys, that was deep. <laughs> that was good. That's, I'm going to, that's all I'm going to think about the third time I watch this movie. <laughs> um, okay. So we get to see a foil um, for Harriet Tubman and she actually, tragically the her story ends tragically and she ends up being a foil for Harriet Tubman kind of in an opposite way at the end isn't that what you said Amara like yeah it's like they they start on opposite ends of the spectrum like Harriet was born into fear and then she died free and uh, a proper woman of society empowered woman of society and Marie was the opposite she was born free she never knew fear and she died in fear um kind of you know by slave catcher so she like kind of experienced the thing that she you know in that first scene where they meet each other and she's like oh you stink of whatever whatever and she's like oh I guess you've never known the smell of fear like Mm -hmm. she she got to experience that in her final moments tragically Mm -hmm. yeah that was a powerful scene it's uh one of those make you angry scenes um Okay, so we see Harriet Tubman's growth through, not just through her relationship with Marie, but other things in the movie. That was something that you mentioned earlier, Amara, before we started recording about her dynamics with other characters. Do you want to talk about that? I think it was actually Doug that mentioned that, but I will speak on it a little bit. (laughs) Doug, was that you? (laughs) It was, I mean, Amara, take the floor. Apparently you're becoming one person in my mind. I'm sorry. Um, Yeah, it's, it's interesting to see um, kind of, we just talked about like, like she goes away and she starts her journey of becoming a free woman. She, she, and she marks that with a new name. And so when she comes back to save her family, at first you kind of see her struggle between that. Like when she first takes her brother and them and, and they're, they're resistant to follow her. And at first she, she doesn't come right out and say, no, we have to do what I say. She just, she acts on her own, on her own faith and eventually proves her worth. And then as soon as she's done that moment of like proving herself, she's like, that's it from now on. Don't call me Minty. That's not who I am. I'm free. I'm Harriet. This is a new chapter in my life. And I need you to look at me in this new light. And that, that dynamic, especially because I think those are her older brothers. So for a younger sister to like tell her older brothers, like, no, no, no. We're not going to be doing this anymore. Things are different now. Like I'm free. I think is a really powerful thing and a testament to who she became in her time in Philadelphia. 
Yeah. Um, and what's, what's really interesting to see is like how, how her dynamics genuinely do, do a complete 180 with everyone that she meets really, because I mean, and you can, you can break this down with every single character, but I'm just going to kind of go like major groups. Um, you know, she, she starts off this movie very much in fear of uh, Gideon, uh, in fear of what's to come. Um, and by the end of the movie, specifically with Gideon, you know, she's the one holding a gun on him and she's the one in control of his life. Um, as far as like her uh, association with the Underground Railroad as a whole, you know, she starts off very hesitant or feeling like, you know, feeling like there's, okay, there's a sense of desperation. And I know that, that might not sound right, but I'll make it sound right later on. There's like a sense of like, there's a sense of like, I can't live without this happening. And there's a little bit of a lack of confidence with her and the rest of the Underground Railroad. But by the end of the movie, she's like, no, y'all need to get off your high horse. We've got to go. We can't sit and wait. We can't wait for a war to break out, for things to change. We have to keep working while there is work to be done. Um, so that desperation changes from a desperation based out of based out of I don't know what I'm going to do with myself to a desperation of if we don't do it now determination desperation to, to, to desperation, desperation into determination. to determination thank you yes words yes. are hard you know um, that scene where she gives her her very impassioned speech after they've moved to Canada and it, it it's really interesting because like the first time that she goes to William and she's like um I'm i I need you to help me get my family. He's like, yeah, no, sorry, I can't do that. And she's like, well, I'm going to go get him. And he's like, you can't do that. She's like, you can't tell me what to do. And he's, he's like, you're not going to make this journey. And she does it. And then again, they're in Canada now. They're six times as far away as they were when they, when she first made her journeys. And again, they're telling her, we can't do it. You're not going to be able to do it. And she's like, same thing over and over again. Like we have to do this. Like we're still determined. But like you said, that first time it was like desperation. It was like I, I can't live without my family. I need my family. I'm alone. And he's like, we can't risk this because you're lonely. And then she gives the speech, and it shows like as much as we've talked about how she changes and how she carries herself. She still will always have that peace, that fear, that like slavery is like born in her, and she knows the horrors of it. And and while other people might be content to forget that and be on their high horses and act like that part of their life is a closed chapter and they don't want to look back on it. She's like, there are still people living those things that you experience that you are trying to put out of your mind. How can we stop? And I think that that shows that she never really got over it. She never let it go completely, even though she became a society woman, she never let that part of her go which I don't I, I don't even think that those those people did I think it's a, a defense mechanism a coping mechanism but it, it's awesome to see that her her coping mechanism was action yeah definitely definitely so you know obviously we've talked about how this film as a whole really hinges on uh, Cynthia's portrayal of Harriet and the character of Harriet as a whole. And also, as we pointed out, based on true story, films and biopics are really hard to pick off, are really hard to uh, pull off. Pick off? Pull off. Um, I don't know why words are not working tonight. Um, uh, so, my, so, so, so my question is, do we feel like her character arc is done well or do we feel like do we feel like there are some corners that were cut that kind of compromised the arc as a whole what were our thoughts on her character arc and how it's presented 
So the thing with telling a story like this, at least I think, you do have to kind of pick and choose what parts you're going to tell. Because Harriet Tubman's mission lasted for decades. I mean, she started in what, the 1840s, 1850s, and was still active until she died in the early 1900s. Um, so like what we see in the movie is only very brief. Um, and obviously, you know, she is probably most well known for her work on the Underground Railroad. But Amara, I know you mentioned uh, before we started recording, she was very um, involved during the Civil War. And then I also know uh, at the end of the movie, they talk about the different um, battles that she fought after the Civil War uh, for women's suffrage, um, more equal rights. And so I, I think it's just a matter of like picking which story you want to tell. If that makes sense. Right. I agree. I, I agree. I, I think I was disappointed to see um, the Civil War as an afternote, as an afterthought kind of, because it's just kind of like a little five minutes tacked on to the end. Um, and then, like you said, the rest of her works were just in notes that you like read, read at your own leisure kind of thing. Um, but I do think that the rest of the, the story that they told was very compelling and I did really enjoy it. And I thought it was a good arc and um, beautifully told. I just, for me, like I, I wanted to see more of her being a boss in the civil mm -hmm. war. Like she was what the, one of the only women till to, to today to, to lead an armed militia. And the first. Attack. Like the first and one of the only, like th that's insane. That she, and, and that she was black too like I feel like that is a huge yeah. accomplishment Absolutely. and she served as a union spy like there's just like a lot of that and I mean I wouldn't be mad at a Harriet too where we like cover that <laughs> that yeah. part of her I life. will like, say really dope I will say that and I don't like don't get your hopes up because I don't know what's going to happen but if you pull this movie up on uh, on Google or on IMDb uh sometimes they have Harriet and then in parentheses, they have a Roman numeral one in front of it. <laughs> so I don't know what they're trying to say or like, if anything's like confirmed, but like, okay. Yeah. I was going to say that I was going to say this should have been Harriet part one, even though the five minutes tacked on it at the end are powerful. Mm. There's I, I was reading, just skimming through a little bit of information about Harriet Tubman. And there is a whole lot more that There's, even just yeah. reading the historical descriptions of what happened feels so cinematic. Why would you not make a movie about it? Right. And think about all of the unnecessary sequels, all the movies that were split into part one and part two and part three for no good reason, just to make like more the money. Hobbit? And exactly. And then you have <laughs> this movie. Now we have a valid reason to make a part one and part two. Why didn't that happen? <laughs> Also, I mean, it's not too late. It's not too late. They should, yeah. they should do it. How, how do we get this to the right people? Please. <laughs> also, I mean, and Amara pointed out at the top of the podcast, you know, Cynthia Erivo is only one Oscar short of an EGOT. Um, and like, you know, what a Her better... original songs robbed. I don't know who won, but she was robbed. I thought she was robbed too. Uh, because because the song that they chose i was like what the heck is what the heck is wrong with you hold on i'm gonna pull up what song it won already working but on anyway but anyway what i was gonna say was um what i was gonna say was uh you know very rarely if ever is a sequel nominated for an oscar and what a better just kind of thing to cement cynthia arrivo's like reputation as a phenomenal uh performer actress songwriter than to have the sequel to a movie she starred in win an oscar i'm here Guys, for it let's start the it. petition <laughs> yeah Let, okay the ladder who's who's in charge okay the movie the song that won cheated okay it cheated the the song that won the oscar cheated because it was rocket man from rocket man now look love rocket man Love Elton John, big fan of Elton John. But here's the thing, that music was out way before that movie came out. I'm Gonna Love Me Again was a new song. Well, dang. Dang, dang, <laughs> diggity, dang, dang. 
You know, we actually um, hadn't planned on talking about it, but I think that it's worth mentioning the score, the music, because not only does it move the the movie along, it it's integral to the story. Like the songs that she sings are authentic. Like that is how slaves communicated with each other, not just um, for like running away and stuff. Like that's how they communicated everything to each other. They weren't allowed to read or write. They sang to each other. Like that was what they did. It was, it was drum beats at first. And when those got taken away, they're like, we'll use our bodies. Like, and then that, that developed into, um, juba dancing which is like the hand slapping on the bodies thing is like we weren't, we weren't allowed to use drums we'll use our, our bodies as percussion and like you just see that proliferate itself through black music for the rest of history and i just think that was really awesome that they focused and showed that authentic in an authentic way in the movie and again cynthia sang pipes good yeah time. i I, I texted Mara because we were talking about the movie uh, via text before we started recording. And I said, I forgot just how much she sings in this movie. Mm-hmm. And I'm so here for it. But also, I think in terms of score and just music in general, you know, this movie pulls off something that I seldom is done and even more seldom is done well, which is it pulls off a sense of an epic score and something that is grand and sweeping, but it does it in with incredible subtlety. Mm-hmm. And yes, like, definitely. I cannot, I'll go on and tell you, I'm not a person who studies music. I can't tell you how that works <laughs> mentally or scientifically, but the fact that this movie is able to leave such a lasting impression in your mind purely for the score uh, before you even consider all the other great things about this movie, that I really think is a testament to the quality of film that we're looking at. Yes, definitely. I would agree. And I would agree. while we're talking about music, we could bring up this old chestnut uh, staple of our podcast and talk about diegetic music. Cause I don't know if score is the right term for all of the music in this movie, since so much of it is diegetic music, <laughs> it's characters in the movie, in the story singing to each other um and that's what you guys were saying from the beginning that was really powerful stuff i mean it's it's hard not to to feel sort of shaken by how powerful those moments were they they don't let you ignore most of the music in this movie i mean you have to be like wow this is incredible this is a side comment but i just want a t-shirt that says i love that the music is diegetic for this podcast <laughs> because we talk about it way too much um i i think another small small thing on the music and the the dynamics when she first comes back and she's coming back for her husband and the first thing she does is she sings to him and immediately he knows it's her Mm -hmm. and then he turns around and he doesn't recognize her and i just think that that's like a testament to the song between them like he doesn't recognize her looking at her. He's like, who is this proper woman? What? But like he heard her and he knew it was her. I think that that's beautiful. Mm-hmm. A beautiful use of the music. So, so we've talked about like all the amazing aspects of this film and there are a lot, like there are a lot of things in this movie that are done well. However, no film or very few films are perfect. Um, and I do think, this is a very small gripe, but I do take a little bit of issue with the fact that there's no like rules set up in this movie with how time works. Cause, and like I said, it's not a big complaint. It really isn't. It's just that watching it a second time, I was like, a lot of time passes here. (laughs) But it happens in, in like three cuts. And again, it's not like a big problem. It's just something that like makes me take a step back and I don't know. It throws it throws me off equilibrium. You know, this movie also makes use of composite scenes 
where they take things that happened in different episodes in Harriet Tubman's life and kind of put them in the same scene so that they work together. And I think this movie does a really good job with that. Like I was reading about some of her escapades on the Underground Railroad and a lot of separate things, like things that happened on separate trips while she was coming back with people from plantations. A lot of those things were combined and put into a composite scene uh, her first time bringing people back from a plantation when it's her family they included like her pulling a gun on somebody who wanted to leave and I was reading about how um, that happened uh, or people say that happened on a on a certain um, venture that that was not that first one it happened later but this movie combines them and I think that's really effective I think that whole scene kind of goes to show you what she was in for just in general uh, so I'm, I'm not saying that was a bad thing for them to do composite scenes in a based on a true story. I think that's fine to do. I think it helps tell the story effectively. But Doug, you're saying um, it, there was confusion with time because between certain scenes, they don't tell you how much time has passed, right? Like distinct episodes. Yeah, and like I said, like it's not a big issue. It's just, especially the second time I watched, I was like, I would just, I would just like to have a better idea of how much time has passed. Yeah, I think a few times they put years like sometimes it would be like one year later and then it would be the year and you're like wait how many I one year later from what was the year that, yeah. there was math involved in keeping uh-huh. <laughs> with the year I don't want to do yeah. math when I'm watching a movie and I I, I know that. that I know that like there's like a you know I'm never uh I'm never opposed to making your audience really think through your movie or do some work mentally to keep up with your movie like just tell me how much time has passed it's it's like a very simple plea i just want to know what your timeline is um i also you know and and talking about some of the flaws with this movie there is i think probably the biggest thing that this movie had against it uh from from audience reactions is its portrayal of uh is its portrayal of slavery you know that thing in american history that uh nobody ever wants nobody (laughs) ever wants to talk about it because they're like because they're like oh yeah we as a country messed up yeah but that was then so we don't need to talk (laughs) about it now (laughs) yeah i think i think i was talking about it with black Klansmen, or it might have been ma rainey's i don't know um but like you know i don't know why it is an american culture they're like they're like after 1950 when we passed the civil rights act we figured it all out everything was figured out we right we did good guys (laughs) right i mean they i'm sure people were saying the same thing after the civil war they're like hey slavery's over what more do you want you know it's been the same story you know they say learn from your history your history will repeat itself that's what they're talking about yeah, and I, I mean, I feel like people are even saying it now. They're like, 2020 happened. What more do you want? And it's like, a lot. <laughs> we're, yeah. we're not there yet. Basically, but yeah, no, they... <laughs> I think that um, that is a, a, a very fair criticism, especially in light of, it seemed to me like the only thing that they were comfortable doing to show the like badness of slavery was letting the white people say the N-word willy-nilly, but they never showed the atrocities physically that accompanied that. Like, I mean, they alluded to it because they showed like scarring and scarification on people's backs and stuff like that. But to me, it it was a very palatable presentation of slavery. And so to include such like thorough use of the N-word, it almost cheapened it to me because I think a lot of people are like, oh, what's so, like now today, they're like, what's so bad with saying it? Because they see it in movies like this, where they're like, okay, these people just like worked, they were happy-go-lucky working in the field and they happen to be called this word. But like, I feel like if you're gonna use that word, you should partner it with the imagery and like accuracy of what it meant in that time. So I think that that's, that's a criticism that I have of, I, of that. I think, you know, in, in this mass discussion of like how 
uh, general audiences perceive like the atrocities of slavery, you know, a bunch of people to compare this movie to another movie in terms of its depiction of slavery. Um, you had something like uh, Django Unchained. That's literally which, the comparison. I was which got, as well. you know, it got a lot of criticism from, uh, from oddly enough, I think a majority I think a lot of the criticism came from the white audience, from like a white audience mm. um, for excessive use of the N-word. Um, and every single time Quentin Tarantino would back it up with, yes, we do say that word. We do uh, we do say an atro- a heinous word. However, the rest of the movie. Right. Right. I think, I, I mean, I can understand the criticism of, of Quentin Tarantino deciding to um, season his movies with that word um, as a, a, a white writer. Um, but, you know, this movie was written by um, George. Does anyone know his name? I'll pull it up. He's while black. You're talking. I'll pull it up while you're talking. And the director was also one of the writers. Yes, yes. It was like co written by. Um, Gregory Allen Howard Gregory wrote Allen the Howard, screenplay. Okay. Yes. Um, so I think that his choices for when it's used feel a little bit more deliberate than um, in Django. But, and also I'm, I'm not asking for Django level depictions of slavery because there is like criticism to be said about like just showing violence against black bodies on screen. Because yeah. sometimes that can be overwhelming but it it feels like on some level we're more catering it to being palatable to white people more so than not traumatizing to black people so i think that there's there's some balance to be had there but i i think it would be fair to show more yeah there's there's a middle ground to be found um but you know like we said earlier folks never want to talk about slavery yeah. Yes. Um, America is very uncomfortable with discussing its racist roots. Real quick, has anyone here seen Twelve Years a Slave? I haven't. I'll go on and say I haven't, but I, I feel like I feel like from what I've heard, like I think a lot of people kind of were down with like that sounds like a horrible thing to say. Like people like I think agreed that that depicted slavery like with well with, well with with the respect that it needed with while also like not shying away from it. It's accurately. also Nyango's first. Say that again. Accurately is that the word you're going Accur- for? Thank you again. Mm, words are not working tonight. <laughs> that's fine. Uh, also, that's Lupita Nyong'o's first film, and she won an Oscar for it. Mm-hmm. So amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Black girl magic. <laughs> what about Roots? Did you guys like Roots? I have not seen Roots. I, don't, I haven't seen it either. Okay. That's another but, discussion for another time then. <laughs> you yeah. can cut that from the podcast if you want. <laughs> um, yeah. So, okay. So one, one last big thing. Uh, and honestly, this is like, this is a really interesting topic. So talking about how this movie shies away from showing certain aspects of slavery, it does choose to show one really interesting um, component of slave culture and uh, the time of slavery in that, in that it has a, a black slave hunter, like, and, and Amara, I know that, I know that you had things to say about that. Yeah, yeah, that was a, a criticism that I saw from a lot of Black people watching the movie. Um, I think that that also kind of fell in line with like maybe portraying a Black slave hunter made it seem like, oh, well, it wasn't that bad because there was like Black people on, quote, unfortunately, both sides, you know. But <laughs> I, 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 I had I hesitate to criticize the the fact that that character could exist because they did exist but i i do think it's a fair criticism to say like why was that character included 
especially when there was already the character, I think his name is Sam, who started off as the slave hunter and watched um, Harriet and saw something in her that like made him end up on her side yeah. and end up helping her with her family when she came back for the rest of her family the last time. So I think, I think that the, that character probably did enough to show like, okay, there were black people who might have been more concerned with money than with um, their black identity, I guess you could say. But ultimately I think that his character showed that it was like intrinsic in him and he like couldn't shake it, you know, like even if he wanted to, even if he want, if his, if he was more focused with money to start with, he ended up doing quote the right thing, you know, like on the right side. So I, I, I enjoyed that character. I, I didn't necessarily enjoy the character of Bigger Long, especially um, with the way that he died. It just, it, it felt kind of, like a throwaway character. And so I don't know if there was necessarily a need for it. It's also really interesting because it seems like he's the only one who like faces like, um, again, words. I'm going to say punishment, but punishment isn't the word that I'm trying to think of. Retribution. Thank retribution, you. Yeah. He, he's like the only character who faces retribution because, because, Yes, he does. He is the one who kills Marie. Um, but he's also the only one who is killed. Gideon orchestrates all of this uh, right. violence and hatred. And, you know, he loses a finger, but he gets off scot-free. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I I said And before, even in those the, the last scene where they depict them freeing all of those slaves in South Carolina, it's implied that there was violence like against the white people but you don't see it the only violence you see against people persecuting slaves is against bigger so you know yeah that i think that's a fair criticism of including his character for just the purpose of killing him like yeah yeah um because and i'll i'll bring it back around to Django one more time you know it doesn't do it doesn't do everything perfectly, but uh, every single character that deserves retribution gets <laughs> r- gets retribution to the nth degree. <laughs> um. Yeah. Well, let's score this sucker. Well, if it's your first time listening, uh, we use a pretty simple scale here nowadays. Uh, it's a one to one hundred scale. You can kind of think of it like an American grade scale. Uh, it goes all the way up to 100, which means it is a perfect film. It has no flaws and goes all the way down to a 1, which means that it is a, it is a steaming pile of turds. So, who or would like irredeemable. To go first? Or irredeemable. Uh, only you believe that, Doug. Yeah. So, who wants to yeah, go first? Since I'm talking, I'll also go first. Cool. You know, li- living that life choice. Um, so, I think that this movie is very very good i do think that there are some obvious flaws in it um but i gotta say like cynthia arrivo's performance like knocks it out of the like i would put i would put her performance on par with viola davis and chadwick boseman's in my rainies in terms of just like excellence um so i'm gonna give this movie I might give it an 85. I might give it an 85. I think it's incredibly, incredibly well made and well done. I'm not going to yeah. lie. With that expo- or uh, with that buildup, I was, thought you were going to give it something a little higher. Well, what do you want me to do, Ben? What do you want? <laughs> the numbers don't really mean anything anyway, do they? That's true. That's true. Um, my gut told me to say 86. This is okay. a really good movie, higher than a low B. So 86. And I would absolutely recommend this movie. This is, if I'm not mistaken, the only attempted biopic of Harriet Tubman. And it's very good. I mean, everybody should see it. 
Everybody should see it. Everyone should see it. Um, I think um, for me, I, I think that this movie was incredibly powerful in more ways than one. And like when it comes to grading, I just think about like we keep talking about Cynthia's performance and it's outstanding. And I just think about the scene where she takes her steps across the state line and the look on her face is so understated, but so powerful. Like I can see it in my, in my head right now. And I, I, I have not seen that done elsewhere. It's amazing. So I think I would give it a 91, 91. Cause there are, there's some solid criticisms, but I don't think, I don't think enough to bump it off of an A. So a solid A minus. Nice. Ben, bring us home. Uh, yeah. So uh, to kind of close things out, um, I really love this movie. Um, I know I didn't have a lot to say, but I'm also uh, very tired right now. So I'm probably gonna go to bed after this is over. Um, but really enjoyed this movie. Cynthia Erivo, absolutely incredible. Um, I'm gonna give this a 90. Um, really solid movie, I think. Let's get her her EGOT. I just want to say, <laughs> I just want to say, because this is the second week in a row where, where right. this is the second week in a row where I've just given the movie the lowest score. And I just, I just want to say, like this and Black Klansmen, I really do like the movie. I think they are very good, very well made movies. I just, I'm, I'm. Uh, Live your um, truth, Doug. Go yeah. with your gut. If I don't you even, feel 85, I don't think 85 is not a bad score. If you got an no. 85 on the test, you'd be like, yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. I just, Solid effort. I just find it really funny that on some jerks, Mike and I would constantly like fight to see who could give movies the lowest score. And now we're on this podcast and I'm like, I don't want to be the guy who gives it the lowest score. Yeah. Well, like we say, the numbers don't really mean that much. And this is an indication. I don't even remember what I gave black Klansman. I might've given it a higher number than what I just gave Harriet, but I definitely like Harriet better than black Klansman. Do I need to change my number now? No, you're good. Don't change, your change your number. <laughs> Give it that A, Elijah. <laughs> you want me to change my number? Change your number. All right. Okay. For Cynthia. Do it for Cynthia. Do it for Janelle. This was the first movie you liked her in. Yeah, I don't know. There's the A. I mean, you're certainly welcome to because I forgot what you gave it because I did my oh, math wrong and I had to put everyone uh, everyone's oh, number in again. Well, the scores still don't mean anything, but since you told me I gave Black Klansman a higher number than that, and I actually do like Harriet more, I'll give it a 90. <laughs> All right. Well, after plugging that into our patented scoreometer, I gives us a final score of 89. Nice. Yeah. So. Hey, we I, agree with Google. Yeah. I, how about that? Yes. <laughs> I took us out of an A. I'm sorry. Come um, on, Doug. That's okay. That's okay. Uh, but uh, it's a yeah. strong B plus. Like oh. Harriet could cry to the teacher and it get rounded up. <laughs> yeah. But uh, but yeah, quality quality film. And hey Doug, I have a question for you. What are we? We, watching? we are watching. <laughs> we are watching the film Loving. I do not know what year it came out. I do not know who stars in it, who directs it. But we are watching the film Loving. Doug, do you know anything about this movie at all? Um. I know it will be released the week after uh, the week after this review is released. Which, on that note, I do have one thing to say. Uh, this does kind of wrap up our um, our celebration of uh, Black History Month. Um, mm -hmm. Huge thanks to uh, all of our lovely guests uh, who came on. Um, and I think I think we had some really awesome discussions um, about uh, about these black filmmakers uh, and celebrating their work. Um, I think I think this was a really great uh, uh, project that we took on and great uh, exercise that we did. And Amara, I, I love the fact that we got to have a veteran of. A veteran of all of our shows actually um coming on uh you know it, it's it's kind of like you have your you have your vider media egot uh, triple crown 
<laughs> thank you. Thank you very much. I'm, I was very glad to be here. This is an awesome discussion. Great movie. Everyone go see it. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And sign the petition for the sequel. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll, we'll get that started right after we're done here. <laughs> Sounds like a plan. All right. Well, thank you all for listening. Uh, be sure to keep up with all things Vider Media. We've got new episodes of Setting the Skein every Wednesday and new episodes of Tea with Doug G every Monday night at 9. Uh, also, be sure to follow us on social media. But until next week, I'm Ben. I'm Doug. I'm Elijah. And I was Amara. And this has been Setting the Skein. Y'all have a great week. Thank you.